Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi everyone, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Domi Shi. Domi began as a story intern at Pixar Animation Studios in June 2011 and was soon hired as a story artist on the Academy Award-winning feature film Inside Out. Since then, she has worked on feature films The Good Dinosaur, Incredibles 2, and the Academy Award-winning Toy Story 4. In 2015, she began pitching ideas for short films and soon was greenlit to write and direct Bao, which won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. In her role as a creative VP, she is involved in key creative decision-making at the studio and consults on films in both development and production. She graduated from the animation program at Sheridan College, where she was fueled by her love of anime, manga, Disney, and Asian cinema influences that can be seen in her work to this day. She was born in Changqing, China, and resided in Toronto, Canada most of her life. She currently lives in Oakland, California, and notes that her love of animation is only rivaled by her love of cats. Turning Red is an endearing coming-of-age story that follows Mei Li, voice of Rosalie Chang, a confident, dorky 13-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence. Her protective, if not slightly overbearing mother, Ming, voice of Sandra Oh, is never far from her daughter, an unfortunate reality for the teenager. And as of changes to her interests, relationships, and body weren't enough, whenever she gets too excited, which is practically always, she poofs into a giant red panda. Domi, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. We're so excited to have you on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Congratulations on all your successes. You are the first women director of Pixar, and you come up with an awesome movie com- uh, coming out soon. And before I kind of hop into your story, I want to have you talk a little bit more about, you know, this movie that's coming out and what significant it is for not just the Asian American community, but people for our, for fans around the world. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really excited that Turning Red is coming out. It's a coming of age story that I think everyone can relate to, even though it's super specific. It's about a 13 year old girl, 13 year old Chinese Canadian girl named Maylin Lee going through big changes in her life, in her body, in her hormones and her relationship with her mom. And yeah. And then the story is just about how magical puberty hits and she suddenly has to deal with transforming into a giant red panda anytime she gets emotional and just navigating growing up with that very unique family quirk that she's inherited oh wow i love that so much and 
You know, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, they have yet to watch it, but I am sure a lot of people in our community will be watching it because it's so applicable to a lot of people in the Asian American community or Asians in general. And you talk about changes in body, changes in hormone. And we see May going through those changes as she's growing up, you know, puberty. So the film also deals with aspects of puberty, but it doesn't exactly say, you know, anything about puberty, but we get hints of it, right? Biological changes. And I think when May had realized she was going through a transformation, May's mom thought that she was going through her first menstruation, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there was an article saying that the production team was unapologetic about the discussion of these topics in the film. I want to know why was that so important to you as the director? And do you think these discussions of these topics in film helps younger girls feel more comfortable about the many stages that they have to experience while growing up as well? Yeah, yeah. I think it was really important for us to not shy away from the cringier topics of puberty and adolescence, especially pertaining to girls i think it was it's just one way to normalize it right like instead of you know dancing around the topic or not really mentioning it it just didn't feel genuine for us to try to tell a coming of age story about a teen girl without touching on this very important event and moment that happens to every single girl on the planet and i think by like not shying away from it by like just just showing it on the screen we can like normalize it and laugh at it and and just tell girls and anyone who you know menstruates that it's it's totally okay and that you will survive it's embarrassing af but it'll it'll be okay Absolutely agree. I think the more we talk about it, the more girls will feel comfortable, you know, talking about it and we won't shy away from the topic. It's it's something that's natural. Right. And I think that we should all be talking about it. We know that the film is taking place in Toronto, Canada, during the early 2000s, specifically during 2002 and 2003. 2002, 2003, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you were born in 1989. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> no, no, I, I think I think it's really cool because Maggie and I were also like born around the time. I'm born. I'm also born 1989. Oh, right? cool, cool, cool. And the nice. fact that we're following with this character who is in middle school in 2002, 2003, right? Yeah. And that is a reflection of us being in middle school during that time. I'm kind of curious, like, how much is May's character is based upon your own personal experience? Yeah, a lot of 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 uh, of May's personality, I think, is based on me at the time. Like, I, like her, I was like a total confident dork, and my little girl squad of nerdy girlfriends obsessed over boys, mostly fictional. And I had a secret sketchbook that you know, to this day, I don't think my parent, my mom, ever found out about. Yeah, so I think. May is a lot of May is is myself, but also who I want, like who I wanted to be too. I don't think I was like as brassy and like like sure of myself as she is in the beginning of the movie. But in in writing her, we really wanted to make this like role model and this like folk hero, this little Chinese Canadian folk hero that you can immediately root for and fall in love with, like the minute you saw her on screen. I love it. I love it. It's based upon your character. And uh, there's, there's a lot more to the movie that I want to talk about too, which are like the hidden, the hidden things, the hidden secrets throughout the movie. Right. Cause there's little things that you touch upon. That's totally, if you're a two thousands kid, like this is what we grew up with. Like Tomo- Tomogachi and there's uh, the, like 
like paint. Wow. Or ta- oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Canadian flags everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we really wanted to just populate the world with as many um, you know, early 2000s uh symbols and and objects and just things that just have nostalgic meaning and, and feelings for me. Like I love the scene where May's friend Miriam gives her a four town mix CD that she kind of like decorated herself. Cause that's totally what me and my friends used to do back in the day of <laughs> CD burning and Kazaa and LimeWire and all that stuff. And yeah, and we really wanted to just like, it, it, it was just really interesting for us to tell this story about this teenage girl coming of age during the early 2000s. Cause I just felt like, the height of boy bands, of pop music, of, uh, and, and the internet was like just starting out. And so, and like social media wasn't really that, that big of a, of a thing back then. So it just felt like a more innocent, almost like a more innocent time too. That's what drew me to wanting to, to talk about it. That's amazing. We know that you had first pitched the film to Pixar in 2017. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a while now. And I want to know, like, what was that first inspiration for you to come up with a film like this? And where did you kind of get this idea from bringing it back to 2017? Tell us, like, how that idea came about. Yeah. So back in 2017, I had just finished Bao, my short film with Pixar. And uh, Pixar had asked me to go into development and start thinking of three ideas to pitch as a feature film. And they asked every you know person going into development to pitch three ideas and Turning Red was one of them. But all three of my ideas were girl come like like start female protagonists coming of age because that was a really important topic and theme that, that I really was passionate about about telling. Cause it just didn't feel like at the time and even now it's a little bit better, but still like, it didn't feel like there was enough in the media that uh, was like talking about this, this topic, or it, there weren't a lot of, you know, movies, especially animated movies that dealt with this topic. And I, it was just a, an important, you know, subject that I wanted to explore. And uh, so for turning red, I really wanted to explore like what, the experience of puberty would be like if it was like exaggerated and, and magical and and what if this this girl like had to, like she just uncontrollably transformed into like the most embarrassing thing for a teenage girl to transform into at the time and kind of use that as, that transformation as like a metaphor for a girl going through magical puberty like that's what i really wanted to to dive into with this, um, this idea and the image of the red panda just popped into my mind. Cause it, it just felt like such a funny visual and the color really reminded me of puberty, like red for your period, but like also red and how it represents different emotions. Like you're red with anger, you're red with embarrassment, you're red with lust, <laughs> you know, for your crush. So it just felt like the perfect animal to kind of represent puberty. It was also the perfect color to represent the culture as well, I feel like. Yes. You know, being a Chinese Canadian, being Chinese in general, Chinese and Asians all together, they love the color red. Red means yeah. fortune and good luck. And so I thought it was just so fitting. Yeah, it was a, it's a very auspicious color for sure and and it just yeah it had 
so much like meaning like wrapped into it. So it just felt like the perfect animal. Yeah, I really like the selection of the red panda. You know, I think nowadays you see a lot of like normal pandas, like black and white, but the red panda, I feel like it's getting, getting a lot of popularity lately. And I feel like that's, yeah. a, that's an awesome character. I'm kind of curious about the, the creative process he went through, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as you're pitching the idea, this may or may not be true, but I think I'll follow Pixar for a little bit to understand that the creative process in their department is extremely difficult. I wonder what it was like for you working with them and trying to formulate stuff and how did you handle like different plots and, you know, rejections and approval process? Like sounds very, very complicated. I just want to get our listeners the opportunity to hear what the creative process was like. Yeah. So Pixar's creative process is like very unique compared to other studios for very much perfectionists and we're very meticulous and it takes us at minimum four years to make one movie, which is a really long time. But I knew going in that it was important to work with collaborators and leadership that could speak to, you know, the experience of, you know, of having once been a teenage girl or being from the Asian community. It was important for me to not be the only Asian on the on the leadership crew. So the first thing I did was I found, you know, our production designer, Rona Liu, who was a production designer for Bao. And uh, I wanted to work with her again. And the production designer basically is in charge of the entire look for the movie, from the colors to the character designs, to like overseeing like the design of the sets and everything. And I knew, you know, the movie was going to look amazing with with her, you know, at the helm, uh, because, you know, not only is she Chinese American and kind of could speak to that perspective of, of being 13 and awkward and, and going through changes, but like, you know, just having worked together with her on Bao, like we developed this trust and this shorthand and we both have similar tastes and aesthetics in terms of anime influences and, and color and design. So I knew that, you know, like she was going to help us find like a very unique style for this movie that reflected, you know, May's, you know, perspective on the, on, on the world. And then we also, we also found an incredible writer, Julia Cho, and she's, you know, been with us since like almost the very first draft of the, of the movie. And and she's great. Again, you know, it was important to be working with people that could speak to that background. And Julia being Korean American, it was just very easy for both of us to kind of access those experiences and memories and stories of when our parents, of when our moms embarrassed us and the angst of growing up as an immigrant kid and relating that to May and her story. Like a lot of our writing sessions were just us like exchanging battle stories <laughs> of of being like a teenager and you know like trying to go to our first concert or trying to explain to our parents <laughs> like this certain type of music that we were really into but they didn't understand it yeah and working closely with julia you know like we we just worked really closely together on writing the movie and through the process you know we have we had eight screenings so that's like eight almost like eight chances to improve the movie eight times we show it to an audience and eight times we'll get a ton of notes back and we'll have to like filter through all of the feedback and try to figure out like what we should change or what we should keep 
Yeah. And, you know, it takes a village to make a movie. And, you know, I, I just really relied on on the leadership on, on, on the show to really help guide me through this process. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I love it. I really like the fact that you guys also selected number eight, which is a very lucky number in Asian culture. <laughs> was, that, was that intentional? Or just how the process was? Yeah, that, that that just ended up how the process was. But uh, it's funny because there's a there's a, a boy band in the movie called Four Town, and people always ask like, oh, like why are they called Four Town? There's five of them, and then one of the reasons why is because like for story purposes, we needed May's mom to like disapprove of Four Town, and four is a very like unlucky number in in. Chinese, but also I think in other countries as well. All so Asian it'd be really culture. all yeah. Asian cultures because it means death, right? Yeah. So it, that'd be really funny if like she's she's like covered in fours and she's trying to convince her mom like, no, this is like like this this band is amazing, and her mom can only just see like unlucky like like death. Like it just added to to their their conflict calling them four town. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> that is so funny. I love that. Yeah, in Chinese culture, and I think a lot in a lot of Asian cultures, four is a really yeah. bad luck number. It's just so amazing just hearing you talk about, you know, exchanging just like stories and experiences with Julia and just talking about, you know, the experiences that you had as you know, either immigrants or, you know, children of immigrant parents, which is why I think a lot of Asians can relate with each other. But I think even though we have such unique differences, we all come from very similar struggles, right? Mm -hmm. And we all come from very similar backgrounds and we are starting to learn more about that. Like, oh, yeah, I went through the same experiences too. I'm also a child of immigrant parents. I want to know what it was like for you personally to be working with such an incredible community, you know, with so many Asians, Julia, you know, Rosalie, Sandra Oh, Y Ching Ho. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was such a phenomenal feeling to, you know, be able to connect with so many other Asians and be able to relate on such a different level. Talk about your experience in that sense. And like, how was it very special for you to be, you know, working with such a great community? Yeah. I also want to add on to that question too. I want to hear more about like how that affected your, your Asian identity and how much of that you want to incorporate into the movie. Right. As we know, a lot of us growing up, like being Asian wasn't cool. And nowadays, like mm -hmm. being Asian is super cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to hear you. Yeah, how you it's cool now. Yeah. How do we become cool? <laughs> no, we were always cool. No. Yeah, it's uh, it's been so surreal and such a huge, like, I feel so honored and so lucky that we were able, that I was able to work with such amazing Asian collaborators on this uh, film, like, like in every department, like writing, art, animation, voice acting and, and voice talent. And it just made me realize how, like how important these, like it, it is to like, like for studios to support these types of stories. Cause like, they're still super rare, you know, like I still feel like there aren't a ton of, you know, shows or movies, especially in like Western media. So it just feels like such a, it just feels so special. Like there was like one recording session we had and it was like Sandra was there, I was there, Julia was there, I think Rosalie was there. I don't remember, but it was just it just felt very like, oh my gosh, like we're all here, we're all Asian women, we're all working on this like multi-million dollar animated film. Like how how is this possible? It's just it's just so cool. But let's make sure that that this isn't the the only time this happens. Um yeah, I, I feel incredibly lucky and also feel this immense like 
you know, responsibility to make sure that this continues into the future and that more stories um, from our communities are supported and, and, and told. Yeah, it's it's been an awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. But, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely amazing to hear how, you know, this is honestly, as we're looking things up, is like, what is it, the first Asian American or Asian theme Pixar movie ever? And yeah, I'm so happy that you're able to to lead this project, right? Because I, I, I mean, we watch, we watch your like bow before too, and it's like, okay, like, it's, yeah, like there couldn't be a better person. So I'm kind of curious too, like, I mean, going back to the question that I want to ask earlier, like, how did your Asian identity play into the movie, right? Because like, I want to hear how about like, how did that help you plan the storyline based on your own personal life? And also, yeah. did you like talk to your parents about this and be like, hey, am I talking about the traditions <laughs> right? Am I doing the culture right? Am I doing everything right? I'm kind of curious too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as you, if you watch a movie, my identity p- plays a huge part in the in the movie. I think also just in the the specificity of the story. I think is very unique to like an immigrant kid, an Asian immigrant kid, and their struggles. Like it was important for me to not tell a sto- like a more typical kind of Western story where like the parent is very militant and strict, and the kid is very rebellious and wants to break free from the very beginning. Like that's not a May's relationship with her mom. Like when you watch a movie, you can tell that she genuinely loves her mom and her family and she wants to be good for them and she wants to make them proud and she enjoys spending time with them. But at the same time, she's growing up, you know, in a completely different environment than her parents did. And she's growing into a different person and she's inevitably going to leave them because she's just turning into a different person. And I just really wanted to tell that story and that specific struggle where there is no black and white answer of just like, no, you got to just be yourself and be independent and screw your parents. And, you know, like, uh, yeah, like, like go pursue your dreams and fuck everybody else. Uh, but so that, that's not what this story is. And the, truth of it is like it's always going to be this like struggle i think for a lot of immigrant kids and asian kids to kind of like deal with their parents and their family and trying to keep their families in their lives but also trying to be their own person and i just thought that was a very juicy topic to to explore also at the time too when i pitched it i haven't i didn't quite figure that out yet either like i didn't know like what the answer was to that, like, be yourself or honor your, honor your parents or yourself. So I think in making them, in making the movie, I had a like, it's, it's almost like I kind of came to a little bit more of a conclusion or a resolution within myself while making this this movie. And to the question of how my parents thought of the movie, they haven't seen it yet. They will when we premiered in Toronto. But I have been able to involve my parents in the production of it. Like if you watch the movie and in May's family temple, there's a lot of like calligraphy around the temple. And like all of that was based on my my father, like my dad's calligraphy, because he's a he uh his his background is like painting and calligraphy and we were able to get him involved in the film production so oh my goodness that is so sweet i love that <laughs> yeah he's like credited as a as a cultural consultant i think <laughs> cultural consultant. i yeah. love it thank you so much for sharing that i think you know we talked a lot about turning red i do want to kind of like do big picture you know there are 
a lot of kids who try to look for, you know, representation in movies and film, right? And I think mm-hmm. animation is such a great way to go about it because like films that are, you know, actually filming, like recording actual people acting and, you know, with actors and actresses, that might be a little bit harder for them to conceptualize. But with with animation, kids love watching animation. Kids lo- love watching cartoons. So I feel like it's so important for, you know, animation films to be out there to be building representation. How do you see representation changing within this industry with like the last couple of years or just the amount of time that you've been in this industry? And like, do you think that we have been improving in terms of building more representation for the Asian community? Yeah, I feel like um, like I've been in this industry for like 10 years now and I've seen a ton of change since I started. I was starting to see change even when I was in animation school because like enrollment at that time was like like it was just going into like like majority female students enrolling in animation. Whereas, you know, this industry has been like pretty male dominated for a long time. And when I first started, like even when I first started, I think anime was still kind of niche and almost like looked down on a little bit like 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 an animation school or people just thought anime was like one thing like big eyed creepy girls and <laughs> but but now it's like it's way more accepted in 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 the mainstream and uh and i think it's just cuz our world is getting smaller like we just have more access to cool stuff in in asia anime is more accessible i used to have to go to like a specific asian mall in toronto to get bootleg DVDs of the latest episodes of like One Piece or like Inuyasha. But now you can just go on the internet and you have access to like everything like My Hero or like Demon Slayer and, and all, all that stuff. And uh, I think because we have more access to, you know, animation and artists all over the world, I think, you know, people like there's a bigger appetite for different kinds of stories and different kinds of styles of, of cartoons and, and animation. So I I definitely think it's, yeah, like you're starting to see more, more Asian representation in animation in the West, but you know, it's always been huge in in Asia, you know, like anime has always been huge, but now it's, you know, uh, like more, Westerners are paying attention to it and it's being taken more seriously as a, as a medium, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that statement for sure. I mean, a lot of animes nowadays are still mainstream. Attack on Titans, Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer mm-hmm. movie had a huge box office year. So it's mm-hmm. like, the, like the acceptance is super high, but I do want to ask a very fun off-topic hot take question. What is mm-hmm. your favorite anime of all time? Oh, what? That's so hard. <laughs> oh, man. That's my favorite anime of all time. This is hard because like I haven't been following it for like so long, but mm. for a while it was One Piece. Okay, One Piece was my favorite, but but I haven't been I like I literally like stopped reading it like like five six years ago, and 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 now there's just too much to catch up on, and I don't <laughs> I don't know like where to jump back in. But I was obsessed with One Piece in 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 college. That's awesome. I do agree. One Piece is freaking amazing. So that's yes. a great answer in my book. Great. It's, it's, okay. it's okay. You're not caught up. Brian 
tried to make me watch it from the beginning. I was like, no, that's too long. <laughs> it's so long. It's like, wait, how many years is it? It's like 15 years. It's more. Been going on or more. Yeah. No, like, yeah. like 20 like, years? Majority, majority of her adulthood. I mean, majority of her life in general. I think yeah, it came out it came when out, I was like six or something. Yeah, it came out in like 1998 or whatever, right? Yeah, oh, something man. like that. It's crazy. Pretty crazy. But yeah, yeah. Um, I want to bring it back to Turning Red. So what do you hope the viewers would take away from viewing the movie? And let's, let's put it in two, two point of views, right? If you were Asian, if you watched the movie, what is your biggest takeaway? If you're a non-Asian, what is, what is the biggest takeaway that you hope that they will get from watching the movie? Yeah, good question. Well, I think for both Asian and non-Asian audiences, my hope is that, you know, when they watch it, they, for, for kids and teens, they realize that growing up is is messy and it's it's okay that you're feeling all over the place and that your emotions are all over the place and that your body is is unrecognizable and crazy and going through changes and all of that is okay and we all go through it and you're going to be okay and yeah i think specifically for asians like that they can finally see you know, parts of themselves and their own life growing up celebrated on the big screen and shared with millions of people all over the world and that they're no longer niche and that this, you know, like that their stories are just as universal as any other culture or race of people's stories are. Uh, And then for non-Asian people, that, you know, even if we look different on the outside and our, you know, family life is, or yeah, like even if we look different and there's like details in our family life that are different, that we all kind of go through the same stuff. Like we all go through the ups and downs of growing up and issues with our parents. And, but also, you know, just like, this is a cool window into like a world that you're unfamiliar with. And hopefully this can, you know, create some curiosity in yourself about exploring different cultures and you know maybe trying some of the food that may tries or that may and her family eats in the movie or take a trip to chinatown or a temple amazing i know you mentioned that may in the movie she goes through a lot of stages of growth and puberty and you mentioned that she is in ways representative of you right in many ways because she went through so many changes and maybe you you thought of this maybe you didn't but i do want to know was there anything that you had learned about yourself that was new while you were kind of like writing the script for this movie and as may was growing up was there anything that made you realize oh like you know i learned something new about myself as i relate myself to may Oh, for sure. I think like the whole message of the movie is May kind of embracing her inner beast, like embracing the messiness in her life. But that message, like that wasn't really there in the first initial pitch. That was something that that me and Julia eventually found through many different versions of the of the story. And I think that's because like we had to embrace mess in our lives. But to embrace the mess and unpredictability of production of like suddenly having to stop everything and like work from home and like all of the unforeseen 
you know, issues and things that would come from that. The messiness of, of like, of production of like last minute notes on shots that are already animated and like almost done. And then we have to go back and redo them because we got a, like a, a big note from like an exec and all that stuff. I think I learned to embrace mess, <laughs> making this story about a girl learning to embrace her mess. <laughs> I love it. And so we have one last question for you, Dongmi, and that is, if you could give an advice to a young female, young girl who is trying to embrace her mess as she's growing up, what would that one advice be? Oh, yeah. Advice to a girl trying to embrace her mess. I would I mean, this feels almost too specific, but I would like draw or write it down, like anything embarrassing or cringy or terrible that happened to you. I feel like you should document it and then like come back to it like a couple days later or even a year or two later or like like even decades from now come back to it and you can see that it wasn't as bad as you thought it was like in the moment and then that could also just be like a source for of gold for you like later on like a fun like, like little time capsule i think but just know that like everything that you're feeling is totally valid but it'll it'll just feel smaller and 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 less scary and intense with with time (laughs) i love that i love that so much i mean oftentimes we go through so many peaks and valleys and it's like we're always thinking how do we get through this and then a year later you think why i got through it you know just like that and then another year you just get through these problems one problem after another so we're actually stronger than we think we are and i love that you mentioned that you know you should write and draw it down i think brian loves that because brian loves writing down things i love writing down (laughs) things and drawing things sometimes but i can't draw that well though (laughs) i used to draw (laughs) so where can our listeners find out more about you and turning red Oh, uh, so Turning Red, you guys can check it out on Disney Plus March 11th. I am on Instagram at Domi She. You can check me out there where I post doodles and musings. And yeah, like if an embarrassing thing happened to me, I'll draw it and post it on Instagram. Yeah, that's where you you'll find me i'm not so, act, I'm, I'm not as active as i want to be but i'll try to be more <laughs> sounds good and we leave all that in the show notes for you guys to find domi your energy your story it's so positive we, we love it <laughs> and when the movie comes out you can make darn sure that we're going to promote it we're going to promote the crap out of it on our social media <laughs> so we're super excited to support you and thank you so much for being a podcast today yeah thank you yeah. Domi. yeah of course it was fun Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.